Good morning, ladies. Welcome to Lesson 16 Lecture. Come on in, have a seat. Um, this morning we're continuing in 1 John, Genuine Christianity. And Janet's title is Why Are We Perfected Sinners? And before I get started first, let me say Happy Texas Independence Day. March 2nd to all of us Texans. Um, and uh, I have a word from Janet for you, an update. Um, it says, Tracy and I are taping another month of Wisdom Matters this morning, um, which frees her up. If you know um, Tracy Kennedy, who's one of our leaders, and uh, she's Janet's right hand. Um, is going to have surgery on Friday. So um, anyway, she and Tracy are working on taping. Wells is back in the hospital where he will stay for another two or three weeks. It's a long, tough journey, and my kids are exhausted, but handling what comes their way. So she appreciates um, your prayers just more than she can express and so keep remembering um, Wells and Tracy and everyone in our number who's dealing with um, illness of some kind or trial or trouble. Um, so I uh, want to make a, just make sure that everybody knows we are off for two weeks for spring break. So the next two Thursdays we will not be here. We will resume March 23rd same schedule and then we we just have four lessons left until we wrap um, this study for this year so Janet intends to be here on March 23rd and she uh, is looking forward to being back with you she misses you so before I begin let's uh, open with prayer dear Heavenly Father thank you so much for this time that we have together. Lord, thank you that we get to open your word and not just wonder what you think or what you want us to do, but we get to know because you put it in writing and it is preserved for us. So Lord, it is our desire as we come this morning to know you better by knowing your word better, Lord, so that we can better serve you and we can look more like you because we know you and lord i lift up everyone uh, with concerns i lift up especially uh, janet and the denison family as they walk through this difficult time but lord i ask your blessings on this time i ask that you use my mouth lord and use it to speak your truth and Lord, I ask if there's something I'm not supposed to say, keep me from saying it. But if I am, Lord, let me speak it loudly. I ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. So, um, again, our lesson title is, Why Are We Perfected Sinners? So last week, we looked at the first chapter in 1 John, John's epistle, so I'll give a brief recap. Uh, 
John doesn't start his epistle with the usual salutations. We talked about that. He dispensed with, this is from John to whoever. He starts, as you remember I said, with a punch in the mouth to those who would deny the truth of Jesus Christ as both God and man, the incarnate Jesus Christ. So John establishes his authority and his credibility to speak as an eyewitness. He is saying, I was there. I know him. I saw him. I touched him. I heard him. And everything I've learned that I am teaching you, I learned from him, from Jesus himself. He goes on to say in chapter 1 that God is light. He is holy. He is good. There is no darkness. There is no evil or sin in him. Part of that was to speak the truth, but also to refute the Gnostic teaching that was going on at the time that said that, first of all, that Jesus was not actually a man, that Jesus was not fully human, fully God. But they also said that the spirit and the body were separate. The spirit was wholly good and the body was evil. And that led to immorality, all kinds of licentious behavior. That's a biblical word. And they, um, they were teaching, they had infiltrated the church and they were teaching the believers false teachings things that were not true about Jesus and about God. And so John is establishing, yeah, there is no darkness in God. There is no fellowship between light and darkness. Um, The fellowship was something that he uh, wanted the believers to know that not only did they have eternal life, but they also had abundant life. And part of that abundant life is fellowship with Jesus Christ himself and fellowship, unity with believers, relationship. So that is one thing John was trying to teach them. He went on to say, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The Gnostics claimed to be without sin because that was in the body. The spirit didn't sin. It didn't matter. So he was refuting their doctrine with that statement. But he also was letting the believers know You are forgiven, but you still have sin in your life. That is still part of our human nature. The good news in 1 John 1, 9, which I hope we all have committed to memory, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There will be no impediment to our fellowship with Christ and to and with other believers when we confess that sin rather than harboring it or deny that it exists. Okay, so now he starts his salutation in chapter 2, which is where we start today. He starts, my dear children. Okay, that little girl, is she the cutest you've ever seen? Well, maybe except for your own grandchildren. This is my sweet little granddaughter, Emerson. I used her picture because this is, my dear children, does it say it any better than that? You just look at that with, and you don't even need words. But 
when I am studying in God's word, he shows me things just in my daily life, and I have aha moments. So last Thursday, uh, I picked up my granddaughter from the day school downstairs and took her home with me for the afternoon, as I do. She comes to my house every day, and uh, she's going through this phase right now where she is imitating her teachers. <laughs> so she thinks she is the teacher, and uh, it is the cutest thing, and I absolutely adore her teachers, so there are no better women to imitate than those precious ladies. But last Thursday afternoon, uh, I was wearing a double necklace, and she was fascinated with it. So I said, do you want a necklace? Yes. So I gave her a little plastic bead necklace, and she wore it around, and she was so proud. Well, when her mom showed up to pick her up, she put on her teacher hat and said, Mommy, sit down. <laughs> and so my daughter-in-law sat down on the floor, right where she told her to sit. Then she turned to me, and she said, Money, that's my grandmother name, Money, sit down. So I sat down too, and she proceeded to have class. <laughs> she took that necklace, and she put it on my daughter-in-law's neck. And then she stood back, and she looked, and she said, okay, now it's Money's turn. And she took it, and she put it on my neck. And this went on for about 15 minutes, <laughs> back and forth. And she said, you share, you share. Went back and forth. And then at some point, the necklace was on my neck, and she looked at me, and she said, sweetheart. She took my face <laughs> in her little hands, and she said, it's not your turn. <laughs> but at the, I mean, it was so cute. My daughter-in-law and I looked at each other and went, what just happened? But for me, I had this picture of John saying to these believers that he's writing to in Ephesus and these uh, around the region of Ephesus that he these are his children in the ministry he has poured into them about Jesus and they are believers and he has mentored them and he's poured everything and he wants them to learn they are his children so when I read that salutation, my dear children, the believers that he is addressing, I thought of him just taking her face in his hands and saying, my dear children, he wants them to know and he loves them. So there is no doubt he is addressing the believers. Now, on the other side of the screen, um, I have to say, as I was studying for this, I picked up a commentary by John Stott, the um, brilliant British theologian and pastor. He, his writings are amazing. And uh, by the way, if you wonder where all those SAT words that you had to learn years ago that you do not use in everyday life, if you wonder where they went, I'll tell you where they went. They are living in John Stott's writing. <laughs> but uh, I, as I read through Stott's commentary, uh, he, ha he said, he outlined 
this chapter 2 and said that what John was doing was giving the believers tests by which to measure their lives. How are they doing? If they thought they didn't have sin in their lives, they needed to apply these tests and see how they are how they were how they were doing as believers as followers. So I thought, well that makes sense. So I didn't follow exactly what Stott said, but I have to give him credit because that was my launching pad. Uh, so these tests of true faith and fellowship. One, tests of obedience in 1 John verses 2, chapter 2 verses 3 through 6. And under that worldliness, do you reject worldliness? That's a test in verses 15 through 17. The test of love, verses 7 through 11. Adherence to sound doctrine, verses 18 through 19. And then finally, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So let's see what he has to say. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children. I write this to you so that you will not sin. That is the purpose. He doesn't want them to, to sin. Contrary to what the Gnostics were teaching, it was like, sin all you want. John said, no, no, I don't want you to sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. This version is the latest version of the NIV, and it uses the word advocate. Um, and it's actually probably the best translation we have of the original Greek word. Thank you, John Stott. That original Greek word was parakletos. Para meaning alongside, like paralegal. Kletos means called. So that definition from the original Greek, called alongside, a mediator, an intercessor, and a helper. And then the second de definition, counsel for the defense, to plead the case of one on trial. So that's what we have in Jesus, our advocate. He pleads our case before the Father, but he's our advocate. He's so much more than our defense attorney. He's the best one, the best one who helps you and says, you know, do you think that behavior is really working for you? Probably not. Let's change it so you can do better. Uh, not only that, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay, atoning sacrifice. He is the righteous one, the only one qualified to pay for our sins. We know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we also know that the wages of sin is death. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. Jesus was the Son of God and the only one that would be a sufficient, all-sufficient sacrifice for those who would believe. And then it tells us for the sins of the whole world. Now, just to make sure 
that we understand that John does not mean that all are saved. Because we know from John 3.16, verse that we all learned from childhood, for God so loved the world, the people of the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there's a qualifier. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for everyone, but the only ones who are saved, the only ones who have salvation, are the ones who believe. Okay, now going into the test. Do we keep his commands? John says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Jesus said in John 14, 15, I believe, if you love me, keep my commandments. John is echoing that. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So here's this first test. The next test. Do we love everyone? Dear friends, John says, I am not writing you a new command. Okay, first of all, before I go any further, am I the only one that thought this was a major brain twister to read through this? Okay, so I'm not alone. Um, let's, let's follow it through and see where it goes. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. And I think this was so well known among the believers and had been taught that he didn't have to specify what he's saying because they already knew. It's us who needs to dig it through. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still living in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. And I'll just pause here. We had a little bit of a discussion in leaders meeting. This brother, and in this latest version of the NIV, brother and sister, because it, rep it refers to all believers. That brother, does that mean your fellow believers? See, we just, we need to love our fellow believers. The Greek word that's used here for brother is adelphos. And in its strict um, definition means a close relative. So, yes. So, I think in this context, it does mean the believers. Um, but let's go on. Let's see what Jesus said. Do we love as Jesus did? Uh, John goes on in verse 11 to say, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness 
has blinded them. So this test of love. Okay. I'm not always easy to love. I will confess it. And some of y'all aren't either, just for the record. (laughs) If you've ever served on a search committee, I mean, not a search committee. If you've ever served on a church committee, you'll say, amen. Sometimes my brothers and sisters are the hardest ones to love. But seriously, let's look at what uh, what did scripture say about loving our brother. In the Old Testament, this is the old command that John's talking about. Leviticus 19, 17 says, do not hate your brother in your heart. And Leviticus 19, 18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus said in Matthew 5, 34 to 35, you have heard that it was said, notice he says said, he doesn't say written, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The reason it says you have heard it said is because that part that says hate your enemies is not in any of the Levitical commandments. That was something the Pharisees added to. That is something they added to their teaching. And Jesus said, no, that's that's not what it said. And not only is it not what what it said, I'm telling you, love your enemies. So John is giving us grace and only saying, hey, just love your brothers and sisters. But if we go back to the first test, which is the test of obedience, there's the command from Jesus right there. Yeah, you're, you're to love your brothers, but you're also to love your enemies. So now the new command, and Jesus even says a new command I give you, and he's talking to the believers, his disciples, when he said this, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Okay, what kind of love did Jesus have for his disciples and for us? A love that was so great that he stretched out his arms and gave his life for us so that we could be reconciled to the Father. That's a tall order. Okay, so after that, we got to obey the commands, and we got to love everybody. That's a sobering thought to those believers. How can we do this? And so I believe that John gave them an affirmation break, where he just said, okay, let me remind you the good things. Because you're absorbing these tests that I've just told you about your faith. He says, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Don't forget. Don't forget what you have. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. It seems that John is writing to the believers and he is addressing them in whatever stage of spiritual maturity that they are in. The dear children, those are the babes, the toddlers in Christ who have just accepted the message and they're growing. I was thinking about this morning, this had to come from the Holy Spirit, fathers, 
these are those mature believers, those spiritually mature. And I thought, you know what? Since he said, because you know him who is from the beginning, were these some of the disciples who'd fled Jerusalem? Maybe they followed Jesus. They weren't in the group of apostles, but they were disciples. And when Jerusalem fell, they fled. But they had known Jesus from the beginning. What a blessing. And then I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. The young men, they've, they've grown in their spiritual maturity from infants, from babes in Christ, from toddlers. They're not yet in their senior season. They are in the thick of life, in the thick of the battle. And he tells them, you have overcome the evil one. What an affirmation. He goes on, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. And then this is so good that he has to repeat it. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And then lastly, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Okay, now he moves into another test of obedience. Do you love the world and what's in it? And when John is talking about the world here, he's not talking about the people that we referenced earlier, for God so loved the world. This world, he's talking about the realm that is under the control of Satan, the prince of this world, the prince of darkness. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Okay, lust of the flesh, the unbridled, uncontrollable desire to satisfy every craving of your body. Same with the eyes, the unbridled, uncontrolled desire to satisfy everything that is evil, that is sinful. And finally, the pride of life, power, position, the acquisition of material wealth as the end game to say this is what it's all about. No, he says, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the Father lives forever. Jesus said, do not store up your treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupts, but store up your treasures in heaven. Okay, now, warning about Antichrist. They had false teachers, the Gnostics, who had invaded them and were trying to teach them something that was contrary to the truth. So, John says, dear children, this is the last hour. 
And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Okay, let's look at that word Antichrist for just a moment. No, I'm not going to teach on that. (laughs) Um, But that is a word that only John uses. Paul in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about the man of lawlessness, the same person. This is someone who is coming. We know that from Scripture. But what John is saying to them is the Antichrist is coming. But right now among you, you have many Antichrists who have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. And again, the last hour, we've talked about the last days when Christ came the first time and when he is returning the second time we're in the last days and the last hour this is this is it they went out this is the false teachers the antichrist they went out from us but they did not really belong to us for if they had belonged to us they would have remained with us But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. It seems to me from that passage that, at least temporarily, John had been able to run off those false teachers. But we know they'll be back. They were active in the first century. They're active now. They've been active this whole time. Now John has another test for the believers. Do you adhere to sound doctrine? He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing is the Holy Spirit that comes from the Holy One, that is Jesus Christ. And all of you know the truth. If you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit, you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Let that sink in a minute. It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Now listen to verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. That's pretty clear. I want to share, God is faithful. He just puts me in situations where he shows me his word is absolutely true. This past Friday night, my husband and I had a date. We were, um, we were going out to dinner on our way to see the Jesus Revolution movie. And I'm going to say, if you haven't seen it, go see it. And then after you see it or before you see it, either way, I want you to Google Greg Laurie lost boy, his testimony from February the 4th at Gateway Church. You can fast forward to 28 minutes if you want to get past the music and just hear the message. You will be blessed. I promise you. 
but that's just a plug. I don't get paid for that. Um, but Friday night, we sat down to dinner, and we happened to be seated, happened to be seated by a friend of mine and her husband. And we don't see, see each other often, so we exchanged small talk. We talked about Bible study, where do you go, this and that. And she goes back to eating. And then she turns and says, Melissa, you know, our church had a vote. Our church that we've been part of for 40 years. We have to leave. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I've, I know I ran into someone else a couple of weeks ago. And she said they had to leave as well. And then she went back to eating. And then she came back and she said, Melissa, do you know that this hierarchy that is in the church is asking us to think outside the box? As in, consider that Jesus is not the Messiah. That there are many ways to God. And then she went back and then she turned around and again and she said, and not only that, they say they don't believe that the Trinity, the Holy Trinity is a thing. I was stunned, but when I picked up my jaw off the floor, I said to her, oh, that's foundational. You know, Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Upon that rock, I will build my church. That is the foundation. Jesus is the Christ. And as I said last week, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So as I thought about that, and you may think, oh, she is the weirdest ever, because I got super excited. Why did you get excited, you may ask? And I thought, okay, because his word is absolutely true. We have Antichrist among us, and ladies, we live in the Bible Belt. In Dallas, Texas, we have been the buckle. We have lived as believers in relative comfort and security for a really long time. But now, hearken back to the Alamo, that line is drawn in the sand. It is time, it is past time to take our stand and declare that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the truth. And that's exciting. That's exciting that we live in these days, that we are called. Everything that we've been sitting here learning, it, it's time. We have on our armor. We have on. We are clothed with Christ to proclaim his truth. And that is exciting. Um, we, can, we can look at it several ways. We can just shrug and say, oh, not my church, not my problem. That's apathy. 
you know what Jesus said about apathy? You're neither hot or cold. I'll spit you out of my mouth. We can wring our hands and say, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this is terrible. Well, it's terrible, but you know what? We can also say everything that God told us, everything he said in his word is absolutely true. And we're part of it. And just as a reminder, the church is not the building where we go. The church is not some charter that guides our organization. It is not the label that we wear. The church, the bride of Christ, consists of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We are the church. So remember that. John goes on in verses 24 to 26 to say, As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Then listen to this. John says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. That is the Holy Spirit. And you do not need anyone to teach you or tell you to think outside the box because his anointing teaches you about all things. And that anointing is real, not counterfeit. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. And then he closes chapter 2 with these words. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, which is always one day closer, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. So I close with this from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Isn't it interesting? This is what Paul, probably some 30 years earlier than John was writing his epistle, Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus. Therefore, be imitators. Like my little granddaughter, that dear child is an imitator. Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Be encouraged, church. Let's pray. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you that it is as alive and true today as it was in the first century when John wrote it. Lord, we thank you. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we may love like you love 
And because we do, that other people will be drawn to us because they're drawn to the Jesus in us. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen. See y'all in two weeks.